This is Up, the podcast from Union Resources, bringing you friendly chats with theologians about things that matter. We want to serve the church by making resources as freely available as possible. So head over to uniontheology.org for more. Welcome to episode 52 of the Union Podcast. I'm Dan Hames. This time we're talking about the ascension of Jesus and with me is Pastor Garrett Scott Dawson from Baton Rouge, Louisiana in the USA. Garrett, thank you so much for taking time to chat with me. I'm delighted to be here, Daniel, and to, and to talk about these really important parts of Christ's life with you. Mm, so I love the ascension and you've written a book about the ascension, but for people who are listening who are wondering, tell us what is the ascension? What is it all about? Well, the ascension is that that part of Christ's history with us uh, as a man who is also God, uh, in which uh, we say classically on the 40th day after his resurrection, uh, Jesus returned to heaven, uh, still in our skin, still in our name and on our behalf. But uh, he departed from this earth um, and is now in heaven with his father. So, Garrett, I, I found that we, we don't often talk about the ascension very much in church. We don't often have it explained or expounded to us. Tell us, what, what is the theological significance of the ascension? What does it actually mean for us? I think that the ascension really challenges our understanding of Christ's incarnation. Uh, we certainly affirm that Jesus was fully God and fully man, that uh, he was a skin and blood man who was the incarnate son of God. But often I suspect that we still think of him as only appearing to be a true man, that he was really a bit of a, a superman, and that perhaps when he returned to heaven, he, in the way, unzipped his skin suit, uh, peeled it off and said, oh, I'm glad I've done with that. I've saved them. Now I can get back to being just fully God. But the ascension tells us that Jesus uh, went up to heaven uh, in the same flesh in which he had been resurrected, which immediately throws us because it seems fantastic seems scandalous. Jesus in heaven still connected to, to our manhood. So so you're saying really there's a strong connection between the incarnation and the ascension. And we take time to celebrate the incarnation. We have Christmas. But with the ascension, I, I often find I look in my diary, middle of May, and think, oh, it was ascension day on Thursday and I missed it. They don't really have them connected in, in my mind. Why do you think there is that disconnect for so many of us? Well, we've disconnected partly because the celebration of Easter is so wonderful, Christ Christ rose, but we really find it difficult to believe that he would, would retain our humanity. And that's the glory of the ascension, that when uh, our, our Lord wedded himself to our human flesh, he didn't just marry us for 33 years, he married us forever. Mm. Uh, his bride, the church, is his into all eternity. And the ascension is telling us that he not only tolerates the fact that we are enfleshed, but that he loves that. And he wants us to live as enfleshed, be sold human beings uh, all the way through uh, everlasting life with him. That seems more possibly than we can imagine. Uh, we think of ourselves so often in the Greek categories where body is bad and spirit is good. And if we could just get rid of uh, this flesh, we could be truly spiritual and truly holy. But the Christian worldview holds together that paradox that God is very interested in our flesh, blood, soul, spirit existence, 
and he wants uh, to redeem every part of us. And the ascension asserts that, that in Jesus, he has done just that. He has redeemed us in body and soul, and so he holds on to that flesh forever. And I, I love that. That seems to be such a strong theme in the book of Hebrews, doesn't it? Jesus, the, the great high priest, he goes into the most holy place, having become like his brothers. What do you think is the danger of us missing out on that? What part of our salvation do we fail to enjoy if we don't think about the ascension? That's a great question. I think with, without the ascension, we only have a spiritualized Jesus. And so we don't really understand where humanity in Christ is heading and where this world is heading. Uh, we tend to stay just sort of lost in a, a spirituality that's not fully grounded. When we understand that Jesus is the first fruits of a new humanity, a humanity redeemed and cleansed uh, and glorified in him, then we look upon, for instance, our neighbors and realize you in Christ are on your way to glory. You're not just my neighbor uh, in his dressing gown getting the paper at the end of his street. You are uh, someone who, as C.S. Lewis said, I would potentially fall down and worship if I could see you in such the glorified state that you're going to have. Uh, and so the ascension, I think, gives us um, tremendous uh, vision for what life in this world is to be like now. We are to look upon our fellow men and women as those potentially glorified to be like Jesus. Philippians 3 tells us that he's going to transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body uh, by the power that the Father has given him. It also lets us know that this world is not discardable. Um, sometimes I think as Christians we think, well, there'll be a new heavens and a new earth so we can just consume the world at whatever pace we want to. We can uh, discard the lives of other creatures. We cannot really think about the glory and the wonder of the earth that God has given us. But because the ascension tells us that God has taken uh, the material of humanity in Jesus up into himself, and uh, that it's a foretaste of the fact that he loves this world. It's this world that he sent his son to, this world he wants to remake. So as we tend and care for this world, even though it's going to be remade, we're really enacting his project, bringing that whole uh, redemption uh, to every part of creation. So, so the ascension is really a huge doctrine. It, it encompasses so much. There's a wonderful quote from Augustine when he said concerning the Christian life that Christ God is the country to which we go. Christ man is the way by which we go. So yes, our goal is, is to fully be seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. But we're going there by being united to the one who's still united to us, the man Jesus Christ. So Augustine would go on to say that there in heaven he is glorified with his father, but here on earth he is found needy in his poor. The fact that Jesus retains our humanity sends us to the least of the least and the lost of the lost to say these two are objects of his concern. So in many ways, it's the ascension that forms and informs the very mission of the church uh, to go out and bring his redemption to every creature. Okay, this question isn't on the script, so I'm, I'm springing this one on you, but do you do anything to celebrate when Ascension Day comes around? Do you mark the day somehow? I would love to tell you that we have an enormous celebration at our church, Dan, that, uh, <laughs> that it's even bigger than Easter. Uh, but the fact is, um, 
even in a place where the preacher loves to talk about the ascension, uh, we don't get out very well on Thursday nights, and we don't we don't enact the liturgy of the church as well as we should. Um, I will say once that Calvin College in Grand Rapids did an Ascension Day celebration for an entire day, uh, concluding with a glorious worship service with an orchestra and um, fabulous singing. Uh, it was a real pleasure to be part of that. Mm-hmm gave a sense of what Ascension Day could mean in the life of the church. I'd love to remember to actually enjoy the day. It always takes me by surprise. It'd be such a brilliant thing to celebrate intentionally. It would be. Let's do it. Oh, we should organise some sort of transatlantic party. That's it. We could meet in Iceland. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's, um, let's move on. Jesus has ascended to heaven, and that sort of plays with our, our categories and our understanding of reality. He's ascended to heaven. Where is Jesus, and what is he doing now? Certainly. Well, Jesus, of course, is at the right hand of the Father. And it's a very interesting conversation to talk about you know, how people thought of the ascended Christ remaining embodied. Uh, the whole Lutheran stream began to develop the idea of the ubiquity of Jesus' body, because it is transformed and glorified, it's his body that's able to be everywhere. On the other hand, the reform stream from John Calvin onwards had the view that Jesus remains localized, in one sense, in a human body like we saw him depart in, but that it is through the means of the Holy Spirit that he is everywhere accessible and, and everywhere present. I really like Calvin's take on that because while it's scandalous to think of the internal Son of God being limited uh, by a human body, it puts us back into the Trinitarian understanding of God, that Jesus relates to us from heaven through his Holy Spirit, who really is the great love gift of the ascended king uh, upon his subjects, uh, upon his uh, bride, the church. I think John Chrysostom called the Holy Spirit the engagement ring, Uh, that uh, our bridegroom Jesus gives to his church as the pledge of all that is uh, is to come. So Jesus is there uh, by his father, however we understand his his body to be, and I I take it to be that that he is there in the selfsame body in which he rose. And he is doing what he did as a man, which is representing us to his father and representing his father to us. He is, in a sense, as Hebrews says, leading our worship, uh, he is saying, Father, here I am and those whom you have given me, and I am pleading the merits of my blood on their behalf, and I am sending your Holy Spirit to continue their sanctifying work, and I am offering myself to you uh, as your son and also as as a man now, um, doing what human beings were always meant to do, to delight in your presence, to glorify you uh, as the king and to constantly be giving ourselves in the loving total gift of offering. So it's really as if Jesus now ascended. Um, His whole way of being is to be for us before the Father. Just think of that, that hymn, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. It seems that his, his, whole, his whole way of being now is for us. So I love that hymn with my name is graven on his hands, my name is written on his heart. When we think about the priesthood in the Old Testament, where the high priest once a year would go to the Holy of Holies with the names of the tribes of Israel engraved upon the breastplate that he wore, 
He was, in that sense, embodying all of the people of God as he went into the Holy of Holies to represent them. Well, because Jesus has retained our flesh, there's a real sense that our high priest is has embodied all of us, all who belong to him, as he stands before the Father in the true Holy of Holies, not just a representation of it, and there calls our names, there uh, declares that we are his own, uh, so that he's, in that sense, preparing a place for us. I think the ascension really tells us that, that God has made room in his life for us, and Jesus is that insertion of a glorified, redeemed humanity into the very heart and life of the triune God, which is is beautiful to me. Yeah. C- can we say then, uh, as Jesus is a, a representative and a substitute for us in his death and his resurrection, is it that the ascension has the same dynamic? He's both substitute and representative in that way too? Yes, I think it really, really does. And which is a good sign that something is part of the core doctrine if it if it ties in as well to to incarnate life death and resurrection if it's in some sense um an essential stage of jesus history mm-hmm. we couldn't really do without it because if he hadn't ascended he would still be somewhere on earth somewhere we could we could find him and in that sense he would be very limited to the number of people he could see at any one time but with his ascension, a couple of things happen. One is that he becomes accessible to all by means of his spirit. And two, it means that what we know of Jesus in the New Testament, the Christ who's revealed to us in the Gospels and in the epistles, is the one that's the covenanted place where God says, this is how I want you to know me. You don't need to seek for more or other. Here's how I've made myself known. And by withdrawing in the ascension, he directs us back to the Gospels in the New Testament time and says, by my spirit now, you encounter me just as they did then. So following on from that, having thought a little bit about um, Jesus' descent, I guess, in the incarnation and his descent to to death, the grave, and then his ascent to heaven, having thought about both of those things, what, what do you think they mean for me day to day in my spiritual life? It's a wonderful question, Daniel. I think that Christ's descent and his ascent mean that there is no place that Jesus will not go to retrieve lost sinners. He came to the far country of, of our benighted and broken world and took up uh, the rot of human flesh and said, I will come among the sheep so that I am truly identified with them and I might find them and bring them home from the far country to my father. I will even go so far in my descent to the place of the dead, to experience fully the death that they die, to experience the full extent of their estrangement from my Father, so that none of them needs to die alone, none of them needs to be undone by any sin that they have committed, because I've gone back behind the first sin and retrieved the curse from Adam's fall. I've dug beneath the worst estrangement so that no one need fall outside of my hands or care. You can't You don't have the power uh, to go beneath, beyond, or behind what I've done. I have fully embraced a human life in order to redeem it. And joined to me, you can participate in that. So I think that Christ's descent and ascent are a wonderful comfort that everywhere we go in this world, we understand that Jesus has gone before me and he even goes with me now. Uh, No one need die alone in Christ. Jesus in his ascending 
rises up into the sky and that in the last chapter of Luke, his hands are open in a posture of blessing. It's sort of like when you look at a light and then close your eyes, you still see an image of that light uh, reflected inside your eyelids. Uh, the last sight that the disciples saw was Jesus with his hands lifted in blessing. And that's the image that's meant to stay with us, that over us, like the sky, is the image of Jesus blessing us, that his posture towards us now is blessing, accepting, grace-filled love, that his face is turned towards us all the time in that love. Um, that, to me, is the wonder of walking under the sky every day. Uh, that the ascended Christ uh, is there over me with his hands and face turned toward me in love. Oh, I love that. Garrett, thank you. You've given us so much to think about. We're really grateful. Thank you for speaking with me today. Thank you. Well, I'm very honored to be part of this ministry, Daniel, and it's really great to get to know you. Well, listeners, now you know, don't miss Ascension Day. Don't forget to celebrate it this year. 